0: Hey, good morning. I, I guess someone left a nine-volt battery up here. I'm. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not sure. Maybe they thought I was going to run out of energy, and maybe I needed a a jolt, a current. Uh, I don't think that's going to be the the case this morning. But hey, if you would. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15. Man, so many of the songs we sung so, this morning as we were singing those songs and the, the words and whatnot, I just thought about the, the song we're actually going to read about today. Because uh, this the scripture we're going to look at today is commonly referred to as the Song of Moses. Some refer to it as the Song of Moses and Miriam because Miriam and uh, verse 19, she kind of picks up on it as well. Uh, and it's also referred to as the, the song of the sea. And you understand that, right? Because where we find ourselves today, Jose, is on the other side of the Red Sea. We, we took us a long time to get to the banks of the Red Sea, right? The, I mean, it took us a while. But we got there last week. And last week, what we actually witnessed was a, a God's, beautiful effort and display of power on behalf of those that he loved, his children, right? And it's a wonderful, wonderful image. The story is powerful and uh, it's invigorating. I mean, when you read it, man, you just want to stand up and, and celebrate with them. I mean, it's a powerful, powerful demonstration of God's goodness. And so we, we witness the, 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 the parting of the Red Sea, right? The obedience of Moses, uh, the wrestling in the hearts of the people, the wrestling in the heart even of Moses and uh, yet with all that taking place Moses was obedient and raising the staff, extending his hand, uh, the seas part, we elaborated on that right and then the children of Israel crossed over the Red Sea and then the, the enemy uh, tried to pursue, we know this account we know this story and God Once his children were safe, has Moses turned back around. Moses addresses them again. And the sea then collapses upon the Egyptians. And Moses had said to the children of Israel, he said, these cats that you're looking at today, no more. They're no longer players in the life, in your life. No, No longer. You will never see these guys again. And so what we understand is that all these people that pursued them Uh, from this moment on, are no longer players in the Scripture. God eliminated them uh, in the great effort to rescue His children, right? So that's where we find ourselves. We're on the other side of probably, up to this point, the greatest uh, biblical crisis that we have found through Genesis, uh, even going into Exodus, amongst God's people. This, this thing, this story that we just covered uh, is, is literally foundational in, in the, the Jewish faith as well as the Christian faith. So we witnessed that last week. Powerful, powerful. So now they're on the other side of this great dilemma, this great challenge, this, uh, uh, this, this, this crisis moment. Now... I'm not sure how you respond to God when you come out of one of those moments, okay, and uh, God has delivered, right? God has has shown himself, and uh, I'm not sure what your response is, but we're going to read what the response of Moses was, okay? So let's just look at that, turn with me to, to Exodus, Chapter 15, and let's look at his response. We'll read verses 1 through 6. How about that? And then we'll just cover a little bit more. All right? This is what the scripture says. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Now, I can imagine at this moment, this is kind of a spontaneous eruption of praise and worship. Have you been there before where, where things were so difficult that all of a sudden God interjects and, 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 and intervenes and all of a sudden out of you, man, you don't, it wasn't planned, it wasn't orchestrated, it wasn't written out, it's just in you and there's no way of, of, of containing it and you just had to let it out. Sometimes it can be embarrassing. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes people just aren't going to understand your response to God's goodness. And you're going to have to be okay with that. Right? You can't be man-pleasers, right? We've we've talked about that a thousand times. It says, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. I want you to notice something there. We're not going to, we're just going to kind of park, or at least slow down a little. Maybe not even park. The Lord is my strength and my defense. The, the scripture does not say the Lord gives me strength and the Lord defends me. That's not what that scripture says. The scripture says the Lord is my strength. Is, I mean, present in a sense of almost companionship, it isn't something that He gives us or extends to us. It's something that is involved because His presence occupies our life. He is our strength. It's not an attribute, it's Him, right? It's Him. And He says, The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise Him, my Father's God, and I will exalt Him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his armies he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers have drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name. Lord, we are your sons and your daughters. We are gathered here at 100 and Way to worship you, to praise you, to respond to your goodness. Lord, we want to glean from your word. We want to be strengthened today. Oh, God, give us the, uh, uh, the food from your table to feed our soul this morning in your word. In your word, speak to us today that it might change us forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, one of the things, and listen, we're going to kind of jump around a little bit in the scripture but one of the things you, you have to remember as Moses kind of lets this song go. You know, Kerry was talking about being a songwriter. Uh, remember, Moses wasn't much of a speaker, right? That was kind of his, his opt-out when God had called him. I'm not much. Now he's not only a speaker, but he's a singer. Right? Now listen, when I tell you I'm not a singer, you may debate whether I'm a speaker or not, but Take my word for it. When I tell you, I'm not a singer. I'm not a singer. I'll not become a singer. And you don't want to hear me sing. Uh, Daniel was standing back there, and I'm over to the corner. And, and out of respect for Daniel, I'm not going to raise my voice too loud. I'm not going to ruin what he's experiencing in here in the time of worship by having to listen to my crackling voice. Right now, Moses, in this moment, he begins. This song just begins to pour out of him. Right. Remember, Moses is over 80 years old at this moment. Oh, He's 80 years old when he comes back to confront uh, a Pharaoh there in Egypt. He's 80 years old leading uh, uh, millions of people. And right here in this moment, regardless of what his age was, regardless of what his difficulties were, regardless of what the challenges were, none of that silences his song. He just has to let it out. You and I, each of us, have a song. And it's born out of the experiences that we've had in reference to God. What Moses has experienced right here at an unprecedented level is God showing himself to be the deliverer, right? Now we all want a song like Moses' song. We want a song where we can sing about the deliverance of God. But the reality is the only way that you and I obtain a song of deliverance like that is to find ourselves in a place where deliverance is needed. There is no way of circumventing, shortcutting this type of maturity, this type of growth, this type of experience that is born in our trials and our hardships and our difficulties. We all want this divine uh, encounter with God. We all want to experience His divine provision. But the divine provision is typically in the company of need. And none of us want to be in the place of need. And in so doing, we have a tendency to forfeit God's provision. When a need is present, we will work We'll we'll scheme, we'll we'll flip, we'll turn. We'll do everything we have to do to maintain control over meeting that need in our very lives. And so we push God out to the side and we never really experience God's provision because we don't allow Him access into our need. I've got it, God. You ever done that? You ever done that, Amy, I've got it, God kind of thing? Where, Well, if it gets to a level 10, then I'm going to take it to God. But right now, Christy, my need is about a level three, a level four. So I'm not bothering God with this. And in so doing, we do not experience God's provision, God's deliverance, God's interjection, even at that level, because we don't allow him access. I can handle it. And the reality is, you really can't. Very few of us can handle those things. Very few, if any of us. And here is Moses at 80 years old, and he's singing this song. Now, the very beginning of this scripture, there's a a word at the very beginning. It says, then. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. Then. This moment is directly connected to what scripture? The previous scripture. Exodus chapter 14, verse 31. And this is what it says. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in Him and in Moses, His servant. Now, this right here is a slippery, slippery slope. Because here's Moses and he's leading this song. And the children of Israel are singing along with them. And it's born out of... This experience that they had had where they had uh, 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 become aware of the fear of the Lord and so they trusted in the Lord and they trusted in Moses. So this becomes a very slippery slope for you and for me and for Moses because this is something I want you to get. If you get nothing else today, get this. Get this. If the enemy can't tear you down, he will tear you up. You know what I mean by that? If He can't tear you down and destroy you, He will give you all the praise your heart desires until it derails you. You'll find yourself, He'll put you in positions, He'll put you in places where people just esteem you and exalt you and lift you up. And before you know it, man, you've bought into a bill of goods and you're viewing yourself and you're perceiving yourself as having arrived. I'm in no need of God. And before you know it, you are puffed up with pride. Puffed up with with, uh, 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 self-awareness. You become the center of things. So the enemy can't tear you down. He will tear you up. And this is exactly, I'm telling you, this is the breeding ground of what could possibly take place here. Because remember, the children of Israel had come out of a culture that were doing what? Worshiping men as gods. What was Pharaoh to the Egyptian people? They had been there uh, for 430 years within the the, the confines of the Egyptian culture. The Hebrews were there. But the Egyptians worshipped Pharaoh as a man. What we know to be the case is later in the story, these cats revert right back to those same conditions. And they they want an idol. So you know this is in their heart. So they begin to trust in God and trust in Moses, his servant. But Moses does something in this scripture that I would say to you and to me that we all need to subscribe to. In his song, when you read this chapter right here, in his song, Moses never once mentions anything that he had done. He never mentions anything of himself. He doesn't mention his brother. He doesn't mention his sister. He mentions the Lord. In these first six verses, the phrase, the term, the Lord, is mentioned seven times. Seven times. And if we find ourselves not being torn down, but being torn up, the thing that you and I have got to understand as followers of Jesus is we've got to keep our focus on who the song needs to be sung to. It's always about Jesus. It's not about Trent. It's not about Tim or Ronnie, Ben. It's not about Reuben. Aaron. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. And when you read this scripture, you see the focus of Moses is God. And the song is directed to God. I will sing to the Lord. The second thing that you and I have got to really understand in relation to this, Tim, is this. Never overvalue your role in God's plan. You know what I'm talking about? Now, now I'm not talking about being self deprecated. I'm not talking about destroying yourself. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a fair assessing of who you are, not compared to me, not compared to Ronnie. Not compared to Ricky or Ryan, but who you are and compared to the standard bearer, that being Jesus. Listen, and once we start to examine ourselves in light of the person of Jesus, if humility doesn't sink into your heart, Kellen, you've got a bigger problem going on. Because, man, you might be able to measure up to me and say, well, I'm better than Trent. I'm, I'm not the standard. Jesus is the standard. So this this is not this idea of looking at yourself with a crooked eye and condemning yourself. No, no, no. Once we see Jesus and we see him in his fullness and all of his glory, man, we can't help but find ourselves cast in his shadow. And if that's not humbling, I don't know what is. And a humble posture, a humble position is the best place for you and I to be in regarding serving in the kingdom. Now this is what Trent said i want to tell you what the Apostle Paul said regarding these things. When we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1-9, through 9, this is what he says. I want you guys to read, listen to this as I read this. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you... Are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when, watch this, for when one says, I follow Paul, remember Paul's writing this, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? Are you not just mere people? Am I not just a mere person? He says, What after all is Apollos? And what am I? Paul says. Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. Now listen, if the Apostle Paul, who is now the forerunner, Outside of James and Peter, probably the most influential leader in the young church. If he's looking out there and he's saying, listen guys, don't look at me like I'm up here. That's not what this is. This isn't about following me. This is about Jesus. This is about God. He goes on and this is what he says, Ben. This is what he says. He says... The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. Every one of us are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. Let me say this to you. There are no more important people in this church than you. And there is no less important person in this church than you. Do you get that? Every one of us, every one of us are at the same place, standing on the same ground, measured by God by the same value. I do not care how many years of theology study you've got. God doesn't care. God doesn't care how much money you've got. That does not make you more valuable. God doesn't care about how much influence you've got. That doesn't make you more important. And Moses in in this moment, with all the praise being turned towards him, and you could see how easily you can bite this bait. Right, Ricky, the hook? Man, you just did what God said, and the sea opened. Anybody following me can match it. How easily would that be to slide in to a a prideful posture? Keep your focus on God. Don't overvalue yourself. Don't undervalue yourself. Value yourself properly in light of Jesus, right? And you and I must learn to deflect praise. Because if we don't learn to deflect praise, man, we're going to get puffed up. And before you know it, man, you're going to start to think of yourself in a manner in which you shouldn't. You know what I'm talking about, doing? When people start talking about how good you are, how good you are. And for for long, man, their words become your words and you start talking about how good you are. And then we end up in the culture in America. And not just in America, but sometimes in the Christian church. And I I thought this would... I'm not even sure how this happens other than what I'm describing now, to where in the Christian faith we can have what we deem to be celebrity servants. You know what I'm talking about? We have celebrity pastors. <laughs> you're, talking about a, you're talking about a diametrically opposing position in relation to the gospel to have a pastor who is a celebrity because of the gospel. Isn't that a foolish thought? But at some point, when all the praise was coming and all the exaltation was coming, at some point, instead of deflecting that, instead of pointing and becoming a mirror where all of that comes in and you deflect it, and Jesus, at some point that is embraced. And you and I have got to learn to deflect. I had a gentleman come to me this morning. And he had no idea what I was going to speak about, Chase. He had no idea I was going to even talk about this. He walked into the office to me and he said, hey, I just want to tell you something. I said, okay, brother, what's going on? He said, I want you to know, man. I want you to appreciate what God's doing in you and what you're doing here at the church. you." whole time in the back of my mind, I'm like, I know his intention. I'm like, Devil. Don't you know what I'm about to share? <laughs> what? This, man, this, you, you call, you're called out, man. I mean, I see. Now, he was wanting to encourage me. But what is the devil doing? Oh, Trent. I could walk through those doors and say, I, I should have mic'd him up. Say, Go ahead and speak that over the intercom system, the speakers. That's how this thing happens, man. And before you know it, man, you're on this slippery slope, man. And then we get into this thing within the church. You know, what what I like to refer to as pastor worship. You know what I'm talking about? It's the craziest thing I've ever seen. People forget the scripture. Pastor get up there and say crazy things. Say whatever they want to say. They bully. They're bitter. They're angry. Manipulative. And all these other things. And everyone is abandoning the scripture because the pastor can't be wrong, can he? Guess what? He can be wrong. And I'm telling you, this happens when we don't do things the way Moses did things. In the front of potential exaltation, he focuses on God, right? He understands his role in this. He's a servant. And he deflects this nonsense. Not giving any fodder or ground to the enemy. Right? So when the praise comes your way, man, be a deflector. Deflect that nonsense. Because in Isaiah, chapter 42, verse 8, God says something regarding this, and this is what he says. My glory, I ain't sharing with anybody else. My glory ain't, it's not being shared. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another. Or my praised idols. Guess who the other is? The another. That's you. That's me. God's not called us to be glory robbers. He's called us to be servants who value and love one another and who don't show favoritism. Understanding that my role is no greater than your role. Your role is significant. My role is significant. I'm not saying bless that. I'm saying understand that. And then Moses... Moses goes on in verse 7 8. He says this, In the greatness of your majesty you threw down those who opposed you. <laughs> Hold on. They opposed God. Now, they were chasing the Jews, right? The Hebrews, Daniel. They were chasing the Hebrews. I didn't see any Egyptians out there chasing God. Have you ever thought that the opposition in your life really isn't about you? And that's what Moses says. It wasn't that they were opposing Moses or opposing God's children. Moses sees this clearly. God, they were opposing you. And when they're opposing God, they'll have to deal with the repercussions of that. He says, you unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging water stood up like the wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. Congealed. You know what I envision when I read, when I read that word congealed? When, my mom, when I was a little kid, my mom used to make us, you know, we didn't have a whole lot. She, she used to make us Jell-O. Anybody Jell-O consumers in here? Okay, you like some Jell-O? I like, I like the, the original. What is that, strawberry, I guess, whatever? I mean, I'm not sure it really had a flavor, but it had a color, right? And my mom used to go in there and she'd boil that water. She'd pour that gelatin in there, right? And then she'd pour cold water over the hot water. And then she'd put that bowl in the refrigerator. I don't know, about about three, four hours maybe. And then those proteins, those strands of proteins, you know, uh, as it gets cooler, they become uh, motionless and then they bind to one another. Then all of a sudden, all of a sudden those proteins, that, that gelatin becomes strong or firm, not really strong. And I remember taking... That gelatin or a jello out, and I'd get me a big old scoop of that jello and I'd slap it in my bow. That stuff would wiggle around. Now, you knew that wasn't right to eat that stuff. You knew it. I mean, any man with any sense in his head would know right away do not eat that. And you know what I did? I ate that and went back for a second. Straight up true. When I read this scripture, and when the scripture says, and the deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea, all I think, is God turning the Red Sea basically into jello? I can see that. He made this stuff basically jello. It stood up solid, what was liquid, elevated from its previous positions and become a solid. And they walked through, if you allow me the liberty to say, they walked through a sea of jello. And might I add, a Red Sea of jello. This is a, I mean, how do you explain that? When you get to the other, when the one Hebrew looks at the other Hebrew and says, what did we just see? Was that jello? <laughs> but that's what God did. He parted that stuff, Greg. Parted it. Now, had it been me and my craving, I'd have said, how about some pudding? Just turn this into pudding and eat it on the way across. But that's what he did, he turned it it congealed, become solid. The surging waters stood up like a wall, the deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. And then this is what the scripture says, the enemy boasted. Now, when I read this, mom, dad, when you think of your kids, when you think of your life in general... The enemy boasted, and this is what he said: "I will pursue and I will overtake them." We were doing our parenting class uh, over the last six, seven weeks, and last Thursday night we kind of closed it out with a little dinner for all the parents and whatnot. And so we sit around uh, as we were eating jello <laughs> just kidding, no Jello—as we were eating, eating a bite, and uh, parents begin to share. And the one thing that I began to realize about practically every parent down there, we all had the same concerns at the end of the day. Man, we're coming from different positions, different things in life, this, that, and another, different angles, different perspectives. But at the end of the day, man, we all had the same concerns for our kids. Might I say we had the same worries about our kids, right? And these were the kind of worries we had about our kids or concerns we had about our kids. Christy, it's this. When the enemy would say to us, though our efforts to raise our children in a godly fashion were put forth, and we, to the best of our ability, we've done it. And the enemy will say stuff to us like this I will pursue and I will overtake them. You ever feel like that, Mom? You can hear the enemy, it's not just the threats, it's the boasting. Oh. oh, you followed God? You followed God, Bree? You follow God? The enemy will say, I will pursue your children because it was God's children and I will overtake them. Those are fearful thoughts in the hearts of a mother or a father pertaining to their children. I will divide the spoils or values I will strip from them. I will gorge myself on them. I will consume them. You ever feel like that? I will draw my sword and my hand and will destroy them. These are the kind of worries and concerns that keep mothers and fathers restless at night. Especially when you find yourself backed into a corner. But in Exodus chapter 15, verse 10, there's a huge three-letter word that Moses exercises at this moment, but. He says, but you blew with your breath and the sea covered them. To every parent who's concerned, who worries about the efforts of the enemy to overtake and destroy your family, your children, never underestimate the involvement of, of God in the lives of your children and in your life as well, regardless of what things look like. But you blew with your breath, and the sea covered them, and they sank like lead in the mighty waters. Idle threats the enemy makes against you, mom, against you, dad, to cast fear in your hearts. But God will fight for you. He will fight for your children. And he will express his power in a manner that you can't. Yeah. Yeah. Moses couldn't park the sea. He couldn't swim each person across. And mom and dad, you can't park the sea for your children. There will be places that they'll be parked in their life that you can't access. And you'll watch from a distance with a heart that is shattering at the difficulty in which they're experiencing life. But the encouragement arises when you cast your eyes out there and you see them in their difficulty. And all of a sudden, in that moment, you see the breath of God moving, <laughs> you see the efforts of the enemy becoming like lead and sinking to the depths of a spiritual abyss. That is the hope that you and I have, is that you and I exercise and extend ourselves to honor, to serve God, and then God, the rescuer and the deliverer, the provider, the protector, it is then incumbent upon Him to be God. And that's what Moses says right here. Even though I heard the threats, even though I heard the threats, the boasting of the enemy, this is how God responded. And then this is what he says. Who among the gods is like you? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders... You stretch out your right hand and the earth swallows your enemies. Who among the gods is like you? Who is like this? This is a position we must take within our hearts and not just simply on our lips. I'm talking about deep within us. This is the posture and the position we need to take one of exalting God and identifying God and recognizing that there is none other like God. And it's not just something we can say. It's something that must, must take up residence in our heart. It must. This is what Jesus was saying to the Pharisees and the Sadducees in Matthew chapter 15, verse 8. When he says these very words, these people honor me with their lips. but their hearts are far from me. The Greek poro means a great distance. A great distance. And I would suggest to you today that whenever there's a great distance between us and God, pain and loss is inevitable. It just comes. It comes in our relationships, it comes in our jobs, it comes in our families. It comes in every facet of our life when distance is created. I remember, uh, and Ricky may remember this, I remember living up on Schaffiner Street over in Hodgenville, and uh, uh, I remember being snowed out of school. Snow day, if you will. And uh, And I remember uh, gathering the troops, you know, eight, ten inches of snow had fallen. And we gathered the troops and we got the cardboard boxes and the old uh, uh, inner tubes, you know, the big inner tubes. Tractor inner tubes. I'm not saying where we got them, we just got them. (laughs) And I remember us traveling probably a mile and a half, two miles down the road through roughly a foot of snow. You get caught in a drift, it's up to your waist. And of all places we ended up, we ended up at school. Didn't we, Ricky? School had the best hills. So on school day, the place we never wanted to be, when the snow fell, school was the only place we wanted to be. And so we would take old inner tubes, cardboard boxes. Cardboard boxes make the best sled if you can stay on them. Right? And I remember us dragging these big inner tubes, these... Cardboard boxes, and half the times we drug those cardboard boxes by the big staples that were left in them that end up cutting us to the to the bone. You know what I'm talking about, Tim? We'd drag those cardboard boxes. We got down there. We'd get down there early. We got up that morning. I remember we we'd take off. Man, all we had in mind was what we were about to experience. Never really considered the distance that was being created from our security and the place of provision at our home. Man, we just had in our minds, I'm getting down there, Jack, and I'm having a good old time on somebody's inner tube. <laughs> and I remember us getting down there, man, we climbed to the top of that hill, man, you, I mean, Jack, you would fly down that hill with You, We would fly. And listen, we, we were poor, man. I didn't have snow boots. And listen, I'm not telling you this. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not spitting in the wind. I'm not just pulling this out of the east. This was legit. I just put on like four or five pairs of socks. You know what I'm talking about? And then my older brother's shoes, because mine wouldn't fit anymore. I had too many socks. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And listen, li- listen, I don't care what anybody says. This is true. Over those four or five pairs of socks, don't think we wouldn't slap a old bread sack over and tie them bad boys up with a rubber band. Hey, hey, don't yeah that's who we were we rode like that and we we'd go down there man we'd be down there i mean we would just up and down that hill up and down that hill we'd have people down there man before they could turn around and come back up the hill we were trying to take them out like bowling pins i mean that was the objective you want to take out as many people as you could take out i mean we had a blast but you know what we'd stay down there all day and you know the only thing that would turn our eyes towards home you know what it was you know what it was boy? hunger Hunger, man, and cold. Socks would get wet. Shoes get wet. It's 25 degrees <laughs> out there. It's a foot of snow. Drifts, weights, high. But hunger. Cold. And in that moment, the fun of climbing the hill and sliding down was no longer important. The only thing that entered my mind was how far am I from the house I'm so hungry and I'm so cold and I was so little man i would be eight nine years old big old inner tube box you'd start dragging it home and the road home always seemed so much longer than the road down there and on the way the old box would just drift off you'd drop it couldn't carry it anymore the tube had more value but as the cold set in, the hunger increased, and the walk up the hill to the, seemed to ever increasing. Then the inner two would be left. And then I turned that corner up there at Bell's grocery, and the house was in sight. And the hunger had heightened my senses, and I could almost smell those pinto beans. Fried potatoes and cornbread. And I'd get in the house and I'd be so tired and so worn out. Mama said, "Where you been?" I'd been at school. I'm so hungry and I'm so cold. And she said, "Lunch has been waiting for you." But there's too much distance, you see. I'd experienced some things I didn't really have to experience, but I had created distance between my protection and my provision and the love. And I suffered under that, that long journey home. And that's what happens to each and every one of us, Greg. When we allow distance to come between us and God, and we find ourselves giving lip service but our hearts are at a great distance, poor old, we just suffer, unnecessary, unnecessary. And not only that, but the distance between us and God makes it too difficult. Almost impossible to move forward with confidence. I'm going to read this next scripture and we're going to close and we're going to have communion. Verses 13 through 18, Moses gives a prophetic a prophetic word in Psalm, A foretelling, a foreshadowing. You know, he's opening the veil through the prophetic spirit. And this is what he says. In your unfailing love, speaking to the Lord, you will lead the people. This is all future tense. Mm -hmm. You have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall on them by the power of your arm, they will be as still as a stone until your people pass by, Lord, until the people you bought pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance, the place, Lord, you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, Lord, your hands established. And he closes this song with these words. The Lord reigns forever and ever. This is what I want you to understand. The scripture says that Moses and the Israelites were singing this song, right? Remember, everyone was singing, but the record shows that this wasn't everybody's song. Not everyone who sings the song owns the song. (sighs) Carrie and I watch, we like to watch uh, medical shows, uh, documentaries, so forth and so on. But several years ago we had watched a, a segment on a disorder called prosopagnosia. So, you. And you know what it is? It's a cognitive disorder of face perception. It's the weirdest thing. We watched it, I was like, what in the world? In which the ability to recognize familiar faces is impaired, including one's own face. Layman's terms, it's commonly referred to as face blindness. And on this documentary, they had. Dads and husbands who couldn't even identify their kids in a picture. Their wives who they would just seen four hours earlier when they had come in. If they had changed their hair, they couldn't even recognize their face. And this is something multiple, multiple people had this. And they had groups of these people. And you know what they did? They actually took a picture of some of these people. Of them. And they said, who is this? And you can just see them in their shame and embarrassment, Jeremiah. I don't know who that is. And it was them. We can't, as believers and followers of Jesus, we cannot allow distance between us and God make us face blind to God. To where we do not recognize him, Greg, Jacob, we do not recognize him. Because the moment we become face blind to God out of distance, we too soon will be looking into the mirror and recognizing or not recognizing the individual looking back at us. Because when distance comes between us and God, it isn't just God that you lose sight of. Man, the person that starts to look back at you in the mirror, you don't even recognize. I'd have never done that before. I'd have never said that before. I'd have never treated her like that before. I'd have never treated him like that before. I'd have never said that to my kids. I'd have never done that at my job. I'd have never done that in that relationship. I don't recognize that person. Face blindness, spiritual face blindness. And that distance, it'll 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 take you into some scary places. It'll rob you. It'll rob you. It'll steal from you. Take more than you ever thought cost you more than you could ever even fathom paying. Distance, that's what it is. And some of us are maybe here today and you'd say, I've been closer to God. There were times, man, that my intimacy with God and my closeness to God, I was focused, Trent. I understood my role. I would never accept prayer. I would deflect it. I was was intentional. Not perfect, but purposeful in my relationship with God. That's who I was. But that seems so far away, so long ago. Now, the journey back home can be tiring, <laughs> it can be, man. Sometimes, because you know what has to happen sometimes on the way home? Sometimes on the way home, man, there's some stuff, man, that's got to be made right. You know some of that stuff you had you dropped? Sometimes you've got to pick it back up and you've got to take it and you've got to make it right. And sometimes the way back home, to go, sometimes it's a little chilly. Sometimes you're not going to get the warm, receptive response from people even when you go say will you forgive me I, I did you wrong it doesn't mean they're gonna say yes and just welcome you back in they may just bite back at you you know but coming back home is always worth it in the end in the end it's always worth it Yeah so I don't, I don't know what's going on in your heart. I don't know what's going on in your life. This is just the scripture we find ourselves in today. I just pointed out a few things. Hundreds of other things to point out. I'll not do that today. Just pointed out a few. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask the elders if they would come this morning. We're going to have communion. We're going to have communion this morning. Man, this is a beautiful and sacred moment. And, uh, and I'll explain this. You know, if you're new, we basically start on the outside, don't we, Jay? And the front rows on the outside, and we'll work our way to the back row. We'll come down the center, and we'll get the elements. And in each cup, you'll have two cups. One will have the the blood of Christ, representation and the other cup underneath of it will have the, the bread, the body, Christ. When you get to the back of the side rows, then those in the front, in the middle will follow suit until everyone's come. What I'm going to ask you to do this morning is to come forward receive the elements, go back to your chairs and we're going to take them collectively as a body this morning. But as you're taking the elements, and I say this to everyone here, as you're taking the elements, if distance is there, don't let it stay there. Don't let it stay there. Would you stand with me? Those guys on the back. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we come into this place. Lord, your words, if we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. So, Lord, this morning in our hearts, Not just with our lips, but in our hearts. We want to draw near to you. Oh, God, respond to us. The distance seems so great, so beyond overcoming, Lord. But if we draw near to you, Lord, will you come? Will you meet us? Will you close the distance this morning? What we can do in our own strength, Lord, will you close that distance? Will you meet us, Father? We want to turn towards home, Lord. We want to turn towards home this morning. So, Father, we ask that you'd bless these elements this morning as we remember your love for us expressed in Jesus. Bless those who consume the elements and allow those elements to consume them. In the name of Jesus, we pray and ask this. Amen.